Welcome to Foolproof Theology. My name is Chase Davis, and I am your host. Today, I want to talk about a really interesting topic, at least to me personally, and that's the topic of geography and theology. Uh, those two topics rarely get uh, the same airtime, but they're really interesting to me, and I want to tell you why. Uh, growing up, my dad would have me ride in the, uh, I guess it was the passenger seat. I don't know if I should have been riding in the, the front seat with him, but he would have me be the navigator for our road trips, and we would take road trips to Colorado every summer. And I'd get out the big atlas. I don't know if you've ever had an atlas, a road atlas before, but back then before MapQuest, before iPhones, that's what we had. And he would have me do takeoffs, basically, uh, estimate the mileage between places, the time based on speed that that we would get there, the miles per gallon. So when we need to refuel and, you know, that was all fun. It was a great way to interact with my dad on road trips. But I could look at that atlas for hours and not get bored. There were so many different facts about people and where people were and size of towns and names. I mean, there's just so much interesting information about geography. This topic really came uh, came up to the forefront for me in the last couple of years as our church has been struggling to find a place to meet. Uh, so we were in a middle school and then when COVID hit, uh, that got taken kind of out from under us. And so we had to find a parking lot to meet in. So we did that after uh, we had been closed for a couple months, so to speak. We still did online and everything, but finally got a parking lot, then moved into a bar. And we've been meeting in a bar now, gosh, since uh, October of 2020. Well, through all that, we've been looking for a church building and things are looking really good that that, that could work for us here in Boulder, um, which is a huge answer to prayer. But something I had to wrestle with in that kind of process of discernment and finding a church building was this. Why does a church need a building? And the reason that question kind of haunted me is because of some things I had said early on in the church plant, some ideas I'd kind of uh, imbibed and shared and taught uh, related to the church not being a building, but the people, which, you know, it's true in some ways. But I started thinking a lot about place and why place matters, and why geography matters, and and really what it has to do with our lives as disciples of Jesus. Um, so I've been thinking about it. I think place actually plays a part in formation. If you read my book, one of my uh, kind of hobbies is Christian spirituality, spiritual formation, discipleship. And so I use John Frame's triperspectivalism to tease that concept out. And one of the aspects of John Frames is uh, one of the perspectives is the situational. Um, the situational just means kind of embodied existence. And so embodied existence does uh, play a role in spiritual formation. And part of embodied existence is the material world and place. And so place is an aspect of formation. Um, you know, I'll even get fascinated by the way people congregate and why around different uh, things. Uh, the other day I was on Instagram and I saw a map come up showing how people congregated around different river basins in Africa. And I mean, this was a long, long comment. Um, and the map just showed how the Nile flowed and how rains flowed across Africa. And it showed how people congregated around different water sources and I think it's just fascinating that people just naturally congregate together and they tend to congregate together around God's natural resources. Um, I'll even get in the library. When I went to the library at Denver Seminary, they had an atlas in there. And that atlas might have might have been the most interesting book in there to me because I could just stare at it for hours. It had maps of where I'd been on missions trips and where I was from. And so, you know, geography has a huge 
place in our world. And I think we don't appreciate it enough. We don't give it credit. Um, in history, throughout history, humans have naturally congregated by natural points of resources. So um, the unfortunate thing is our modern age seeks to kind of throw off those limiting factors. Uh, we, we would like to not need that to be so important in the way that we kind of congregate. You'll see people now talking about whether it's uh, rich people like Elon or or other people, Jeff Bezos, starting cities in the middle of nowhere and kind of building a a space center in South Texas or whatever it is, where there's no real material resources, but there's at least land. Um, but the modern age is really characterized by a disassociation with the natural landscape and really a diminishment of it. So you'll see cities built up in the middle of the desert that don't have adequate natural resources to support the life there, but we can manufacture these cities out of the desert. Um, and on the one hand, you know, I, I used to kind of despise that. I used to look down on that. Like Phoenix, I used to think like, that's not where God wants people to live. Like, obviously it's so hot there and people can't survive based on natural resources. On the other hand, you have to admire human ingenuity and creativity to be able to congregate somewhere where maybe, maybe in, in centuries past, that wouldn't have been possible. Um, humans have, by God's design, a great resiliency and creativity when it comes to limited natural resources. Um, you also get it here in Colorado. You know, we have water right issues, water rights issues here in Colorado. Our water flows down to LA and LA is a huge city that sucks up a lot of our water. And right now they seem to be running out of water, um, or at least they have been. I don't know if it's more precipitous uh, this time around than another time, but uh, our water affects them. And even my parents kind of cabin in the mountains. It's on a riverfront property and there's a river called the Taylor River, and water rights on the Taylor River have always been an issue because water matters. Water matters to people, it matters to fish, it matters to all sorts of things, but water rights matters. It's a huge legal area here in Colorado. Um, they're very complicated, and uh, and so you may be thinking with all this, what in the world does this have to do with theology? Well, let me tell you, my conviction is that God made everything. God made the world. He made everything in it. And he created the material world as good. And in my state that I'm in, Colorado, we can celebrate that a lot. Um, in any state you can, and anywhere in the world you can. But it seems to be particularly evident every time I drive to work and I see the mountains, I see the continental divide and the seasons change. What a beautiful testimony to God's beauty and creativity to see the natural world. God made everything. He made all the resources that we need to live. He established them. He established different uh, geographic regions and in different climates and different regions and latitudes that affect weather and patterns and all sorts of things. God made everything and that shapes us. And I think that's where we get really uncomfortable. First, I think we underestimate the importance of the natural world and geographic location. The place that we live, like lat latitudinally and longitudinally, will invariably affect the rhythms and patterns of our lives both when we go outside and when we stay inside, when we go out to eat, when we don't, when we congregate with other people, what clothes we wear, what music we enjoy. I know for me in the fall in Colorado, Bon Iver, if you're a more educated, Bon Iver, um, is one of my favorite bands to listen to this time of year. Same with Fleet Foxes, because it just reflects the natural environment in my mind. It conjures up that kind of affection for the natural world that God made. And I think that we too often underappreciate 
kind of the natural world and how that shapes the patterns of our lives. Here in Colorado, when it snows uh, really hard, people tend to not go out as much. And so you don't have as much relational connection with others. And so you'll get kind of this, this way about different lo locations around the globe where people congregate and practice rhythms of connectivity with each other based on weather patterns, based on geography, based on um, mountains and all sorts of things. And in Boulder, one of the things that's fascinating is the city has established a green belt. And so they established a green belt around the town. And I don't, I don't know that they call it a green belt, but that's what it is, right? And what it does is on one side, you have the mountains and then surrounding the rest of the town. On the other side, you've got a green belt that the city owns the property and they won't develop it. And what that does for the city is it keeps increasing home prices, home value goes up, but it functions as like a buffer between other people getting in and out. And that's an interesting thought in terms of how we view uh, Christianity, how we view connection with others, how we view limits and boundaries, how we view borders, because there's not only national borders that countries have, and, and that's a good thing, but there's also just natural borders, whether it's a continental divide or an interstate highway. Those are gonna affect the way people travel, the way people have access to different resources, the way people interact. And so the geographic landscape shapes us. That's our first thing. It begins to shape how we view the world and think about the world. The tyranny of the modern age is to believe that because the realm of ideas is most important, that disembodied existence is best. And therefore, geographic material existence doesn't matter that much. And so we worship kind of this, uh, this realm of the ideas of the disembodied state, and we diminish the natural landscape. The natural landscape doesn't become a resource to steward well. It becomes meaninglessness to us because, after all, if we're just uh, creatures of evolution, then what purpose does anything have anyways? It's even seen in the church buildings we build. So... Um, it used to be back in the, uh, I guess, back in medieval times, whenever I say that, I think of the restaurant medieval times, which I've never been to uh, before. Still want to go. Maybe I'll take my sons one day. But back in the day, they would build these massive cathedrals that were just ornate. And, and if you've ever been to Europe and seen one of those, it's just very impressive, very transcendent experience. Now, when we build church buildings, it's typically disconnected from local architecture, local resources, local landscapes. And it has more to do with utilitarianism and efficiency. Um, how, how, what are the cleaning costs going to be if we put in this material? Um, what is the expense related to the different materials? Because beauty is held in less uh, regard than the cost of something, or the cost of a good. And so we have churches where we don't actually build cathedrals anymore. We build hovels for churches. We build these buildings that are not beautiful. They're just not impressive. They, You can see some in my town and in other towns, you can see some that used to be impressive that they built around the, uh, the 19th century into the middle of the 20th century. They were still building church buildings that reflected beauty and communicated beauty. But uh, in the last half century, they've just basically been big boxes, right? Uh, that mimic big box retailers where you can just pop up these suburban strip malls all over the place, which offer nice resources to people and, and all people take advantage of those. So it's not as if those things come without some benefit, but they don't exactly reflect natural beauty or the way that God designed the world. And so we do this with our churches. We don't build churches that reflect the beauty of God. We build basically uh, bunkers 
that people can gather in once a week and uh, serve a purpose. It's very pragmatic. Instead of focusing on the transcendency and, and how architecture can communicate to us things about God and each other, um, we focus on utilitarianism. And, and so that's a, a way I think that the material world should matter to us. Uh, place matters a lot for people. Um, if you think about where you were raised, uh, that shaped you. You got a different education based on different either zip codes or cities or whatever it is that shaped who you became. Education shapes people and education is very much rooted in geography. Um, even our, our tax laws where local tax dollars go to local schools is a way that geography shapes education, which is naturally formational. And so geography does shape education. Even, even in terms of a place, think of the type of place you're raised in. If you were raised on a street corner in downtown uh, Denver, compared to being raised in a suburb outside of Denver, that is going to shape you uh, to have a different view of the world and have different patterns of thought and expectations about the world and how it works. Um, these aren't just happenstance. Uh, as if they have no consequence into the decision-making, into your spiritual life, into how you grow and mature. These are real situations that people experience, and it shapes people and who they become. Place shapes you. We diminish the importance of place because we talk about the church not being a people, but a building. I remember when we were starting our church, we were, uh, well, I was talking to some people back in Texas, and they were like, when are you going to get a building? And as a young church planner, that's a really frustrating question, mainly because Buildings take a lot of resources, they take land and all the stuff, th things in Boulder that are hard to come by. Um, but it's also came from kind of this frustration of like, I really wanted it to be about people, not not a building. And I think I oversold that vision. And here's what I mean by that. Um, a church building does matter. Where you gather matters. Meeting a bar for church is a neat thing to try. Uh, and we've, we've been blessed by that. It's been really uh, good for our church but it also doesn't necessarily communicate what we want to communicate as the people of God. Um, we like to think that the church is just a people, but the church is also the place where the people gather. So having a place for people to gather is important. Think of it this way. You have a family and if, um, you know, your kids looked at you and said, dad, when are we going to have a home? You're living kind of on the streets or you're renting or, or you're doing something that's temporary and your kids know it. And it's like, dad, when are we going to have a home of our own? It's like, well, son, family is not about a place. It's about the people. And it's like, that's true. But family is also about having a place to gather together. It's about having a home together and making home somewhere. We like the idea of taking these concepts like home and church and detaching them from a locality. And detaching them from the material world because we don't need those things to be related to one another. And it's like, yeah, that there's some truth there. And also it really does matter uh, where you gather, who you gather with and having a place to gather that matters a lot. You'll see churches built in the, the early church where they had a place together. And that was a really good thing. They didn't just focus on the church being a people. The church had a facility to gather in. Um, it's an interesting concept for the church to just be people, but it conveniently plays into the modern diminishment of material reality, where we just diminish the local environment in which we inhabit, in which we gather. Um, we don't like place ultimately because we tend to operate gnostically, um, meaning we hate the material world. We don't like we don't like the material world, and and we don't like it because it constrains us, it limits us. We we have to embrace our dependency and our neediness and our our. Uh, our contingency on God's provision. And so our Gnostic kind of age where we deny God, we like to kind of over uh, 
step over boundaries and our limitations. I mean, think of this latest thing that Mark Zuckerberg's trying out the metaverse and how the idea is that you can escape this material world and enter into this other world, this virtual reality world where you can be whatever you want. If that doesn't just scream Gnosticism, I don't know what does. I mean, that's, that's a, a wicked reality. I'm not saying you can't do that if you wanted to, although I wouldn't recommend it. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of asking us to consider what does that say about our world that, that people would rather exist in virtual reality than the real world? That's really sad. That's really scary. And it reflects this tendency where we don't like to be constrained by limitations. We don't like the limitation of sleep and we don't like the limitation of geography. We want to be able to travel anywhere we want, go anywhere we want, all this kind of stuff. Um, when 100 years ago, the luxuries that we experience today, flight, uh, travel by car, all these things were very limited things that were, were not very accessible to people. And people were very constrained geographically. You would you would be raised in the same town, all this kind of stuff. And as modern Gnostic people, we hate that idea. We never want to be constrained. Uh, this is the narrative of almost every Disney movie is like uh, overcome boundaries. Anything that's a boundary is bad and it's holding you back from being your true self. And that's like the spirit of our age. And I think as Christians, we need to fight against that in our own lives, in our own churches, and in the world. I don't think that's a, a good, godly, appreciative uh, manner to go about our lives. That that uh, what God created, the geographic uh, geography, material world, is somehow less than the immaterial world. God made the world, and he made everything in it good. It's very good. And just because sin has entered the world and broken it and all creation cries, cries out, moans, groans for, for its deliverance does not mean that the world, in many ways, the material world is good. And I'm afraid some of us, when we read flesh or world in the New Testament, we, we take that to mean anything in created reality is evil. And that's not what it means. It means anything that has its eyes or heart set against God. Instead, my hope is that as Christians, we can recapture a vision for the importance of local geography, of local place, and why that matters so much, that we can appreciate our limits, embrace our limits, live into those limits, and really um, embody who God made us to be as limited people who can only travel so much, who have a certain people that we're just kind of like, this is who we're with, and we need places to meet, and having homes and churches, church buildings, those are really good things. And we should make those things beautiful because God made everything beautiful and we should reflect his beauty in our architecture and our decisions and everything we do. So that's how I kind of think geography shapes us. It, it shapes a lot of different aspects of human life. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we don't like to think about that just because we don't like the material world and we don't want to acknowledge that we're very limited uh, based on either our past, where we grew up or anything else. And instead, I think we should embrace those limitations and, do, and give honor to them because we're supposed to be stewards of where God has placed us. So hope this was helpful for you. Uh, give it a like, share it, subscribe, do whatever you do uh, online. I'm on Facebook, YouTube, podcast. I found myself on Spotify uh, last week, so that was cool. Um, so you can listen to this wherever uh, podcasts are, I guess. And we will uh, see you next time.